0: which is the source of joy. The source of joy, not the source that you eat with your your, uh, roast chicken, no. Uh, The source of joy. Where does joy come from? Wouldn't you like to know? I mean, wouldn't it be one of those things that if you had your, if you had exclusive access to the source of joy... I think you would be a wealthy person if you could sell that on, (laughs) the source of joy in this world. Joy is very closely connected to courage, and that's going to be our theme this morning as we look at the early church and the way that their joy and the the joy of people around them was connected directly to their courage. Courage. My contention today is that you cannot have joy without courage. It's impossible. There are many things that contribute to joy, but without courage, one will never find true joy. And that's something for us to think about here today. Now think about your own life for a minute. Um, I was thinking about a week before last. So last week, as many of you here will know, Penny and I were on holiday with my parents, and we've been through that transition in life where we took our children on holiday, and now we take our parents on holiday. I don't. And we, well, it used to be my parents took me on holiday, then we, anyway, you, you know, the various things in life that happened. And so we had a wonderful holiday, but just before the holiday, um, Penny and I had a, two or three conversations, I think, in the week before, which began with a phrase like, um, can we talk? Or, or a phrase like that, which those of you who are married know um, can can strike uh, somewhat, some terror uh, the of men. into the hearts of men I, 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 I think Absolutely. I think if it's the other way around it's totally fine it's like, can we talk, well I've been waiting and wondering when we might get around ra- <laughs> but when it's, when it's the wife asking the husband is oh, oh, uh, I, mean, I need to make a cup of tea and uh, Step outside to pray for a minute. Humility, Yeah, that's it. We go and pray for that needed humility or whatever I might need. But it's a funny thing because those words, even though we've been married now 33 years, even, even though I've been through many conversations and every time, every time, eventually, every time, at some point, there's been a benefit. There's been a blessing, we would say there's been joy, even though that has happened so many times over that I should no longer feel any sense of terror, nonetheless I still feel it. And it's because the, 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 the Christian life and life in general is, is one where progress is only made as we successively, progressively, successfully, successively, continuously go through challenges to our courage. And as we again and again through, go through a challenge to our courage and, and grasp that nettle when it comes, that is when we find the joy on the other side that leads us closer to the joy of Jesus, I would say. So courage and joy are inextricably uh, linked here. Let's read our passage. Come on. Let's have a look at the connection here between courage and joy. In Acts 8, verse 1. So the context here is Stephen, as we looked at two weeks ago, has been martyred. Saul is there. He approves of the killing. And it says that on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a town, a city in Samaria, and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Joy in a city. Wouldn't it be great if Watford was known, or Leicester were known, not just for a local football team or rugby team, or not known just for a brand new shopping centre, soon to be completed, apparently, and a cinema right in the centre of town, which, looking forward to. What if Watford were known amongst, in Hertfordshire, amongst all the counties of the United Kingdom, globally, if you said the word Watford to people, I live in or near Watford, and people say, Ah! The city of joy wouldn't that be amazing? And here is a city filled with joy. Great joy in that city. Courage and joy go together. Like what do you see? Um do you see here as evidence of uh courage? Simon. The apostles uh all run actually even now they're scattered, they actually go and still preach. So basically, if somebody comes and threatens my life to do something, I would actually be quiet standing in a the corner. They're like, do not pay attention to me. And they actually go out and preach. Right. Instead of getting quieter, they get louder, if anything, despite the persecution. Good. OK, thank you. That's, that's everybody, isn't it? That's, that's the average follower of Christ here. OK, good. What else do you see as evidence of courage in this passage? Philip? Philip? In what way? Yeah. Well, he must have known about persecution. Sure. I mean, yeah. seen, but he still went out by mm. himself. Mm. On his own, it, it seems, as far as we can tell, in, in this city anyway. Yeah, basically. On his own. And his buddy's just been killed. Yeah. Because Stephen was his buddy. And they were, right? So uh, he's just that's been, so he carries on. That's, that's, that takes some courage. yes. Right, excellent. What else can you see? Anything else? Yeah, Dan. All but the except all except the apostles are scattered. So the apostles were like extra, extra courageous. They didn't even run. Yeah. That's why I'm staying right here. Can you imagine that? Saul is going from house to house. He must know where the apostles live. Surely. I mean, it can't be hard to find out. And all the others are scattered, but they stay. I think that takes some courage to stick around, especially when everybody else has left. Okay. Anything else? One or two other, yeah. Now that's a good point. So what's the courage there? Well they would be associating themselves mm. directly with Stephen, make themselves clearly very visible, the authority that was killed him. Um and then mourning him. They were quite loyal to him, therefore they really can't. See, that's a really good point, because mourning In our culture, often, at least in the UK, is often a quiet kind of a mourning, right? But some of us from other cultures know that mourning means loud expressions of grief and wailing, and you sometimes hire professional mourners to to wail at a a funeral. And uh, to mourn in this context doesn't mean to do this out loud. So they're publicly mourning someone who's just been martyred, which was actually also not permitted because Stephen is martyred under the auspices of people saying that he has committed a crime, and criminals you weren't allowed to mourn for. So they were breaking the law and putting themselves in danger of of being associated with Stephen publicly and loudly, and so lots of courage um, involved there. and one last thing might be the fact that Philip is preaching in Samaria. Why might that be controversial or a little bit dangerous for him in Samaria? Anybody know? Well, the Samarians were not supposed to get on with everybody else. Alright, the Samarians <laughs> had a long-running feud with Judaism. Yeah. Right? A thousand-year-old grudge. That's a long grudge. And they were not Jewish people were not popular. So they would have seen Philip not as a Christian, but as a Jew going into that place. So lots of courage um, in this place. And yet, what we find at the end of all of this courage is not um, any sense of bad feeling or shame or or an overflow of fear, though there must have been some fear. What we see is a city filled with great joy. Now in our lives and in our culture it seems to me we have a few alternatives in terms of joy. For some, the elusiveness of true joy means that they search for other things to replace or substitute for joy. And that's just pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with pleasure. Um, We had a pleasurable time on our holiday and uh, we ate some very pleasant food uh, and saw some very pleasant sights and there's nothing wrong with pleasure. But pleasure is fleeting, whereas joy is enduring, isn't it? Something deeper, something more meaningful. Pleasure may be a part of joy, perhaps, but it's not the substance of it. So for some, it's, a, um, it's looking for pleasure. I think for others, perhaps, the absence of joy leads to a cynicism, a settled cynicism. Right, this world, this life doesn't have anything much to offer, a dark sense of purposelessness substitutes for joy since joy seems to be unattainable and perhaps that's why there are marriages that exist but there's a lack of joy in them or there are friendships that exist but there's a lack of true joy in that friendship or there are people who have children and are in a sense grateful for them but don't feel a sense of joy in their parenting and let's face it parenting is hard and expensive but it can be Joyful, can't it? But is it is it truly joyful? Or perhaps for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, there's uh, it's it's possible to be in a church community but not sense the joy of Jesus personally. It's possible to hold a meeting and for there to be a lack of joy. It's possible to have a gathering. It's possible to have a what we would call a quiet time and miss out on the joy. Joyfulness is something that is promised for us. So, for example, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel says to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all the people. Do you see God's vision here? So, I think our vision for joy is limited because of who we are and our disappointments. But God's vision for joy is that it affects all people. Good news for all people. And he tells the the, the angels, tell the shepherds, don't be afraid because fear is a natural precursor to joy, but don't be afraid because I have good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's Luke 2, verse 10. And then in Matthew 28 at uh, at the resurrection, what happens at the empty tomb? In Matthew 28, verse 8, the women hurried away from the tomb after they'd seen the empty tomb, afraid, Yet filled with joy. Isn't that what the resurrection is meant to do for us? Give us a sense of fear. My goodness, what's that all about? And then filled with joy because of hope. Afraid yet filled with joy and they ran to tell his disciples. God, I'm going to say this. My contention would be that God is a joyful being. He sees all the sin. He sees all the mistakes. But I believe he's a joyful being. Jesus was full of joy. Yes, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, and yes, he certainly had unceasing sorrow in his heart over some things, but I think his basic nature was joy. Why would he attract so many people who were so needy unless he was full of joy? In Luke chapter 10, verse 21, it says this, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, not through his circumstances, not through some quirk of his personality, not because his parenting of his, when he was a child, was perfect, but filled with joy because of the Holy Spirit, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that is what you were pleased to do. God is pleased to reveal truth and to share his joy. So Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons I like to follow him. I mean, I think one of the reasons I like to follow Jesus is because he has the truth, And he is the truth, and he is the way to God. But another reason I like to follow Jesus is because he was and is the most joyful personality and and human being that has ever lived. I like being around joyful people. I mean, if they're too jolly too long, they can be a bit annoying, frankly. But but generally speaking, I would much rather be around joy-filled people than around cynicism-filled people. There must be a word for that. But, you know... I'd I'd much, probably a German word with 16 syllables for it, but I I I don't know, I would much rather be around a person filled with joy, and it doesn't have to be loud joy, joy can be a, a soft and a quiet thing but wouldn't you rather be around and Jesus is full of joy in Romans chapter 14 verse 17, the kingdom of God what is it really about? Is it about managing sin? Is it about teaching judgment? what is it about? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, we are all about the kingdom of God trying to do our best to represent the kingdom of God, be part of the kingdom of God bring the kingdom of God to other people and that's bringing joy to people Of course, if we're going to bring joy to other people it necessitates that we have some of that joy ourselves we're going to come on to that in a second in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 the fruit of the spirit what is the fruit of the spirit love and the second word after love joy love, joy, peace forbearance, kindness, goodness and faithfulness joy is a fruit is part of the fruit of the spirit the spirit that you and I received we are designed to be joy filled people we are designed to be people who enjoy joy and express joy and share that joy. The God's, God's joy through the Spirit with other people. There is a joy-shaped part of us that God fills in when the Spirit comes in to live in us, which he has done. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The joy given by the Holy Spirit, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the persecution, you still had the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You and I, in the midst of debt, we can have the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of uncertainty about the future, we can still have the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of challenges with our children and parenting, we can still have the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of not knowing quite what to do, how to help aging parents and, and, and relatives, we can still have the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of illness, in the midst of spiritual, emotional and physical challenges, we can still have the joy and be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the midst even, I would say, perhaps of our doubts about our faith at times, perhaps we can still find the joy of the Holy Spirit. It certainly is still available to us. In the midst of disappointments with God, we can have the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of fears about the future, we can still have the joy of the Holy Spirit. That is how we're designed to be. We're designed to be that way. And I would say that, as we've been talking about here, the key issue here, if we're going to find that joy, is that we've got to act with courage in our faith. As we act with courage in our faith, then the joy comes as a byproduct. Because it's not going to come just because we want joy. God, give me joy now, or I'm going to be really angry. I don't think it's going to work. It's got to be a joy that's a byproduct of the courageous faith that we exhibit because we trust Jesus. You're looking back at Acts chapter 8, why did this joy come to that city? It's because of courageous faith acted out by the people who buried Stephen, by the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem, by those who were scattered preaching the word wherever they went, by Philip going even to Samaria of all places to preach the word and, there, and doing that and then God honouring his faith by enabling him to perform these miracles which meant that people listened to him because they wanted to know where this power came from. And then there was great joy in that city because there was great joy in the lives and the hearts of the people that had been touched by Philip's preaching and teaching and actions. Jesus provides access to God's joy. That's how it works. But we need courage. Now what, <clears throat> excuse me, what kind of courage and where does our courage flow from? Where does it come from? Where does Christian courage come from? Let me ask you this question. What would you say? Where does our courage come, come from? What helps us to be courageous in living out our faith? What is it that gives us the motivation, the inspiration? the impetus to live a life of courageous faith what kinds of things, There's more than one thing but what would you say are things that can help us to live our lives courageously by faith any thoughts on what would help us or what does help us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself the Holy Spirit himself helps us yes, okay what else uh, yeah. gratitude. gratitude being grateful okay yeah, and from what God has already done for us. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. The example of Christians who've done it for us, that read the Bible, but even amongst us. Okay, an example of others. Whether it's a, a Gideon from the Bible, or Stephen, or Philip here, or someone we know personally, and the way they lived their faith, yeah. When you, when you make decision to trust God and do the right thing, when you attempt to do the wrong thing, God, that things will work out. Yeah. Whatever happens. Yeah. Yeah. That God will mean God will, whatever the decision is that is right to do, I'll do that and trust that God will give me the strength to handle the consequences, even if the consequences are not very pleasant. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes, that's real faith, isn't it? Trusting in that way. Yeah, Dan? I think understanding that. God is the ultimate power. He's the ultimate power. Yeah. I was reading John 18 in <coughs> your book actually this week, was talk, talking about um, when Jesus was struck mm. uh, in the face and he, he, he said, Power not given to you, it must be given to me by like God above. I think sometimes oh, when I go through tough times yes. and I feel persecuted, or it's, uh, especially if it's, if it's the wrong kind of persecution, it's, it's unfair mm-hmm. to remember that. If you do the right thing, God's the ultimate power. Ultimate power is with God. Yeah. Therefore, we have less to fear than we think. Simon? So, yeah, believing in God's promises. Hmm. Well, that very neatly takes me on to my next point. Thank you, Simon. You'd think I'd planted you there to say that. But, um, <laughs> but no, it's, it's not the case. But uh, what does Jesus say in Matthew 28 at the end of the, of the Gospel? Uh, of Matthew's gospel he says I am with you I am with you I will be with you, I am with you always I am with you you see here's my contention and this is the basic point here that I hope will help us all is that the reason why the early Christians were so courageous in their faith which led to great joy for themselves and other people is because they really, truly fully were convinced and believed that Jesus was with them You see, just belief in a risen Christ will take you so far. Belief that he died for your sins will take you so far. And those are helpful things to know and believe in. But what actually makes our Christian life a kingdom life is believing fully, wholeheartedly, that Jesus is with us as we go through our life as we go through our morning, our afternoon, our our evening, our day, as we go through our trials, as we go through our tough times, and as we go through the fun times too. But whenever we come to that point where courage is required to go further, Jesus is with you. It seems to me, that the book of Acts tells us many things, but one of the the key things the book of Acts tells us, or at least perhaps shows us more than tells us, is that the early Christians believed that. They believed that Jesus was with them, accompanying them, actually really with them. Not as a concept, not as an idea, not as a thought, but really with them. Because Jesus lives. Isn't that the story of the gospel? It's not that he died and was risen and rose again and went to heaven. He died, was risen, and still lives. He ever lives to intercede for us, right? As as Hebrews says, he lives to intercede for us. He lives to be with us. He lives... Jesus lives. The message of the early church was not Jesus rose from the dead so much as it was Jesus is alive. I mean, he was dead and is alive. And I, I know that for myself, I think this is the, the, the touchstone for me as to whether I really live by faith or not, as whether I really handle my challenges in a Christ-like manner or not, uh, is whether I really am trusting that Jesus is with me in, in the midst of it all. And that's the promise That's the promise, as you say, Simon. He is with us, and they believe that. He is with them. So therefore, they go and mourn deeply for Stephen publicly. They don't care because Jesus is with them. Certainly their persecutors are around them, but Jesus is with them. And that's why um, they they, they preach the word wherever they go, despite the fact that it's because of, of the martyrdom of Stephen, because Jesus is with them. Jesus isn't just in Jerusalem. He's not in the temple, that's for sure. And he's not in heaven. He's with them. That's why they do that. That's why Philip goes to Samaria because Jesus is with him in Samaria. That's, that's why the miracles happen because Jesus is with him with all those um, impure, people with impure spirits, the paralyzed and the lame. That's why they get healed because Jesus is with Philip. And that's what gives us the courage. That's what gives us the courage when it's the fourth time we've been woken up by our crying child in the middle of the night. It gives us the courage to treat them with kindness instead of the natural feelings of, Annoyance and anger and It's what gives us the ability to forgive our boss when he has sinned against us or she has sinned against us for the sixteenth time. And it's why we forgive our work colleagues who don't why we tolerate and forgive and give grace to our work colleagues who don't do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it, which means that we have extra work to do. It's why we forgive our children, it's why we forgive our parents. It's why we share our faith even though we've been doing this for the last five years and no one has shown a flicker of interest. It's why we love our neighbors even when they play the music too loud. It's why we get momentarily upset when someone cuts us off in the traffic, but then we remember that we likely have done the same thing. And as much as we would desire forgiveness from others, we must then offer it to others. But we do it again and again and again because Jesus is with us. We're reminded that He's with us. Communion, as Oge said, is so important because it reminds us He's with us, He's alive. So important, I am with you. Amen. So I'm going to leave you to think about a couple of things, and then we'll wrap up. Let me ask you this question for yourself to answer and myself to answer, which is this. Um, Which is, in what area of your life do you need to show courage at the moment? parenting, and your relationships, your friendships, your marriage, your workplace, your neighbourhood, uh, in your church community, where do you need to show courage the most? You may say, oh gosh, I've got a long list. Okay, so, or maybe you can't tell, but then, then let me flip it around and ask you the second question. Is there an area of your life where joy is conspicuously absent? Is there an area of life where joy is conspicuously missing. I would suggest that that is at least one area where faithful courage is now needed. And if you exercise faithful courage in that area, I reckon that you will soon experience the joy of Jesus and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Where's the joy the courage is needed. The courage inspired by the fact that Jesus is with us. He's with us. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the example of our brothers and sisters in the first century and their (coughs) their great courage uh, at facing certain kinds of fear that most of us may never face. But Father, we have our own fears, we have our own challenges, we have our own areas where we struggle to experience the joy of the Spirit. And we pray, Father, that you'd help us to approach these challenges with faith in Jesus, knowing that you, Jesus, are with us in it, and trusting you for the outcome. And trusting you for the outcome, not that it all works out maybe the way we'd like, but trusting you. Father, for the outcome, that you will give us the strength to handle whatever comes, and that you will give us joy. You will give us the joy of the Spirit, and, and God, we pray, that that joy will overflow from us to other people around us who don't know you, so that they can experience the joy of the Spirit also. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray in his very present name. Amen. 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 Amen.